something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health podcast helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer. Welcome into Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer, and I'm Jay Glazer. And before I get to our guest today, if you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year, yet far too many fail to receive the support they need. Carolyn Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carolyn Behavioral Health. Raising the quality of life through empathy and action. Welcome in now, my brother, my teammate, the one and only Raider Hall of Fame legend, television Hall of Fame, and really the best person I've ever been around, Howie Long. How are you, buddy? That's a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Are you doing? It's not a stretch because you're the guy, so people don't understand this. Howie obviously is, you know, Mr. Crazy Raider, but his, well, for me personally, I adopted my son, Sammy. I didn't know what I was doing. I leaned into Howie to learn how to be a a dad. But on Sundays, too, when my sky is falling and Terry's sky is falling, Howie is our therapist, and he's the one that's, hey, 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 the sky's not falling. The sky's not falling. It kind of makes you one of the best people I've ever been around, yes. I think it works. It it works both ways in in every situation. I mean, I think sometimes the best advice is advice you get from your friends and you know, a lot of it's through experience and, you know, there's no manual. I remember when, uh, Chris was first born, we were out in LA and Diane had just graduated from law school and she was, she took a job with a law firm and sleep was a, a priority, you know, during the season and with her having to go to work and, you know, he'd throw up and you, we, all we had, we had no family out there. We had the Dr. Spock book. So, you know, you learn on the fly, you know, it's like page 42 vomiting and that's how you kind of figured it out. And we unfortunately did not have family out in California. So, you know, listen, like I say, if you're batting like 650 with, with kids, you know, in, in terms of wins and losses, 
you're doing all right. You know, you just got to show up every day and let them know you love them and try to give them as much guidance as they, uh, they want to take. And sometimes they want to do it their own way and, and which is fine. You know, you're going to make mistakes and we all do. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't know this about you. And if I overstep and you don't want to hit it, you tell me that, but you know, like our upbringing does make us kind of who we are. And you had a way tougher upbringing than anybody knows. First of all, tell people where you grew up. People don't know that. I grew up in Charlestown, Massachusetts, uh, right in the city of Boston. Which is famous for the movie The Town. More right. bank robberies than anybody, any other place in America. Howie robbed 75 of them. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't say this with, you know, I don't have to pull the old, you know, I, I have no knowledge of the aforementioned incident. No, I, I did not rob any banks. I, you know, I'm not a particularly tough kid. I mean, I figured it out around 16, you know, where you start to kind of realize, wait, you know, I don't have to take this crap anymore. And I'm physically, you know, I'm gifted enough physically where you don't have to do it. You don't have to take it anymore. And when you grow up in that kind of neighborhood, it, you know, it, 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 in many ways, I think has, you know, shaped the foundation of who I, I was. And, you know, we didn't play organized sports. I didn't play organized sports until we had the busing riots, uh, desegregation in Boston. And, uh, I think it was 74, 75. I was living with my grandmother, my uncle Mike, and my aunt Edie. I was fortunate to have extended family that was kind enough to take me in. Uncle Mike was the oldest of four uncles and, you know, worked in the projects. And, you know, that, that, a number of people in the family worked in the projects. That was Uncle Mike got the job. Then he got Uncle Billy the job. And then he got my dad a job there. Uh, and everyone else worked at Hood's Milk. And my uncle John was a cop in the North End. We played the street and, you know, we played basketball, ball hockey, ice hockey, grew up playing that and, you know, dreamed about being Bobby Orr and, you know, learned how to compete and, you know, how to be tougher playing in the streets. And then when I went up to live with my Uncle Billy out in Milford, you know, he was the first family member to kind of move out of Charlestown. And life is filled with, I, I think, a lot of forks in the road, you know, and I've I've been at a number of forks in the road during the course of my life, you know, whether it's going to live with Uncle Billy, going to live with Uncle Mike, but, you know, certainly that walk down the hallway as a 14-year-old at Milford High School and high school coach by the name of Dick Corbin, who ended up going on to coach at Harvard, asked me who I was and did I want to play football and they showed me how to put the equipment on and and I was terrible. I was like a, a horse that just fell out of his mama and, you know, was just, you know, all legs and arms and, you know, dangling around. Not really that good. Fortunately, it was a good football team. And we had a couple of three guys that ended up playing, you know, in some form, whether it was Canadian League or USFL. Joe Resick went on to captain Notre Dame. Uh, his dad was the coach at Harvard. And, you know, Fast forward three years later, I'm a 17-year-old who's, you know, fortunate enough to get two offers to play college football and another fork in the road. Do I stay at Boston College or do I go to Villanova? My grandmother, in her infinite wisdom, uh, wanted me to get out of the neighborhood. And, you know, she liked the coach who recruited me, Bob Capone. Went down to Villanova. I was a 17-year-old freshman and 
went down there with the clothes on my back and no bank account, no credit card, no money, uh, no driver's license. And I never left Villanova. I never, I, you know, Uncle Billy and Aunt Ada, who had two kids and two adopted kids, took me in. And, you know, it was a very close-knit family. But, you know, they were struggling. I don't want to say struggling. I mean, it, I, I guess it was a struggle financially, you know, because the meals were... I left there at 6-5-2-21. That summer, I went to Villanova. I got a meal card, and I went in the weight room for the first time. I was 265 when camp opened. I was a bigger person waiting to happen, but started as a freshman, played four years, and fast forward to, uh, you know, getting out of Villanova, and Diane and I had no idea that I'd play pro football. You know, I met Diane and at Villanova. And, you know, that was obviously a, a fork in the road and, you know, another one. And I think what makes you different, obviously, look, you're known as the big bad Raider. You epitomize those badass fucking Raider teams because, and you and I have talked about this. We both kind of have that beast in the box, right? Where I got that beast in the box that gets me in trouble sometimes, but also led me in the cage to go fight people and still drain and led, you know, you to, sure. you know, you being a bad motherfucker is what made you a hall of famer. When did you realize that you had that beast that we got to, we could use it for power, but it could also get us in trouble. Like it's there. I think it, it, you know, it kind of popped its head out at Villanova a little bit. When did I fully kind of realize, you know, listen, when you're at Villanova and you're playing Delaware and you're playing Cornell and, you know, occasionally you play Boston college every year, uh, you see a, a higher level of competition. And then we played Clemson one year when they were number one team in the country. You know, one of those games they schedule earlier in the season and you drive down there and you get your ass kicked for millions of dollars and, you know, whatever, you know, the university got paid. You know, I, I think when I got to the Raiders, which again was, you know, you want to talk about a culture change. You go from Villanova where you're, you know, you're playing Delaware and, you know, you're, you're, I could have been hit by a bus at Villanova and it would have made page three of the newspaper, the local newspaper. And, you know, to, to go through the whole process of playing in the blue gray game, which I got in because Joe Rustic's father was the coach at Harvard and Joe Rustic played at Notre Dame. His dad was the coach at Harvard and he was on the selection committee for the blue gray game. And I wasn't, wasn't our our Jimmy Johnson, the coach. Well, that was the irony, you know, another (laughs) kind of fork in the road. Jimmy Johnson's the coach of the North. So go figure that and, uh, end up winning the MVP. And, you know, then I ran for, you know, people have pro days when you're at a small school, people knock on your dorm room door on a Sunday and they've got their girlfriend in the car and it's a scalp from, you know, fill in the blank team. Right. And he's really just checking a box. You know, I mean, no one saw me getting drafted in the second round. And the Raiders drafted me. And I, you know, I remember on, I think it was on ESPN and I'm paraphrasing, but they, you know, they say, you know, they wasted a pick. He's, you know, he, they could have gotten him in the sixth round or seventh round or whatever. And, you know, fortunately for me, you know, it was Al Davis. It was Ron Wolf. It was Earl Leggett. Al and Ron are both Hall of Famers. Earl brought Michael Strahan up, brought me up as players and, you know, kind of was the foundation of who we became as players. And we've talked about that often, another fork in the road. You know, I was fortunate to be around guys, you know, you didn't really, 
you didn't really need to look too far to see what great was. You know, you get drafted in that organization. You know, Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, they were guys that, you know, were tough on me, but, you know, also brought me along. Early on Lyle Alzado, I lived with a guy named Cedric Hardman, who was a great pass rusher with the 49ers. And ironically enough, he was Joe Green's roommate at North Texas State. And we played Pittsburgh on Monday night, my rookie year. And here we are in this little house in Alameda. I'm making $38,000, $1,007 after, after taxes. And Joe Green's coming over for dinner, you know, and it's like, I played at Villanova, so the Steelers were kind of the team that I really paid attention to, and which is ironic because now with Terry for this year, it'll be 30 years he and I have been together, which is really ironic. But, you know, for Joe Green to walk in your house as a, you know, 20, just turned 21 year old, you know, was amazing. And I really figured out who I was. Year one, I, I, I came in on third down. Year two was a strike-shortened year, so it was a, an eight, nine-game season. And uh, year three was my first full season, and I was all pro, and, you know, we went a Super Bowl. And and I knew then, you know, I, I'm not sure where where it was, but I, I knew I could handle myself with just about anybody. And uh, I was confident about that. And that was through a lot of hard work and, you know, great coaching. You know, when you're in an organization like that, you know, Al Davis, Ron Wolf, as I mentioned, Freddie Blitnikoff's on the staff, Jim Otto's around, you know, great players who, historic players who were a big part of the history of that organization were always around. So, you know, you didn't have to look far to see what greatness. Willie Brown, good friend, you know, coach for a long time. Uh, just passed away the last few years. Cliff Branch used to sleep on our sofa, Cedric's and, and my sofa. Uh, Aren't my, you living with Lyle Alzado, old boy? I did. I lived, we, <laughs> in 82, this is really, you want to talk about <laughs> mental health. In 82, we practiced in Oakland and played in LA. So every game was a road game and Diane was in law school. And here I was at the Oakland Airport Hilton. Lyle said, you're living with me. And we're in a, a single room with two queen beds. And he'd go to sleep at like 9.15. He'd have a piece of chocolate cake and a glass of milk. And he'd shut the TV off. Didn't ask if I was watching anything. But fortunately, Marcus and a guy by the name of Cal Peterson, good guy, linebacker, were staying across the hall from us. And I'd get a roll away cot and I'd go over there and sleep a lot of nights. Yeah. Lyle was, uh, Lyle was, he, he was, he was everything you'd think and a little bit more. Why don't you tell Lyle that you wanted to watch TV? You know, I'm 21, 22 years old. He's 34, 33. <laughs> and he's Lyle Alzado. <laughs> yeah. It's Lyle Alzado. You know, it's like we didn't have a contentious relationship at all. I always likened it to it was Russia and USA. It was like, you know, it's if it happens, it's the nuclear, you know, kind of deal where you're going to blow each other up. So I think, I think, you know, he respected me from a physical standpoint right. and, you know, I enjoyed Lyle. Lyle was uh, very good to me. He was, you know, one day to the next or within a day, he could be in multiple moods. Uh, there was a lot of up and down with him, but great player. Lyle prepared you for me and Terry is what you're saying. Right. 
<laughs> if you can live with Lyle Alzado in an Oakland Air, Oakland L, Oakland Airport Hilton, you're you you're good you're good for everything. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, "Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste." And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell, tell everyone that we I, I can never tell it enough. The story with you and Lyle uh, going to the Super Bowl. Well, we always took a cab. Lyle and I always took a cab. The first time we took so why a did, cab. Wait, wait, first, I never asked you that. Why did you take a cab instead of just going on the buses? Because the buses jittery? didn't leave. The buses didn't leave till later. Okay. And we had pregame meal early, and right. you know you'd eat, and they'd go through special teams roll call. And L1, it was, you know, Smith, Jones, McCarthy, whoever, you know, it was the three guys would say their name just so that we knew who was going in on what. And that wasn't going to be screwed up for whatever reason. That's what we did. And that was at like nine o'clock and it ended at nine. Everyone will go up to their room and hang out for an hour, hour and a half. 
Lyle and I like to get, I like to get to the stadium early. I'd like to go over every formation. I had formation sheets and I had, if they ran 18 Bob Treo 25 times, I had it written out 25 times underneath the right tackle. And if it was Bill Otto to the weak side, I'd draw it up the number of times. I didn't want to write it five times Bill Jokero. I wrote Bill Jokero five times because mentally in my head, I wanted to see it as soon as the huddle broke. If I could divide the field in half and say, you know, near eye, far eye, split backs, whatever trips, you know, two tight ends, jumbo, Y off, Y motion. And I, I, in my head, I wanted to be able to process within five, six seconds what I thought the play was, or at least I could divide the field in half. And Lyle would get fully dressed and go lie down in front of his locker, put a towel under his head. And he'd go, he'd pass out and go dead to sleep for an hour, hour and a half before everyone came. Now I was in my, still in my warm up stuff, shorts and, you know, put on some cleats. I go out and do some strides, stretch a little bit. I like to, uh, to get there early and be prepared. This is the Super Bowl in Tampa, right? So we take a cab for the first time when we go to LA in 82. Okay. Lyle okay. comes with us in 82. So he wants to take a cab to go there early. I said, great. I'll, you know, I'll go there early. He ends up taking us to Dodger Stadium. The place is empty, obviously. The cab driver. Cab driver. On Lyle, the morning of the Super Bowl. His meter's in the red. So that's our first cab ride. So the season goes on. Strike oh, wait, wait, wait. Back up, back up, back up. We go to the Super Bowl. Okay. And we've taken a cab every week. And you think about doing this now versus 1983. Now it's, you know, there's concrete blocks. There's, you know, streets are blocked off, the police, helicopters, the whole thing. Lyle and I got in a cab and went to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 18 down in Tampa Bay versus the Washington Redskins, the then Washington Redskins. And we get stuck in traffic about three quarters of a mile from the parking lot. And it's, it's log jam. Kyle wants a cab, Lyle wants a cab driver to go up on the curb and, you know, avoid the traffic and get us to the stadium. Cab driver's frightened to death. He's, you know, he's frightened that he's going to lose his license, frightened Lyle, and Lyle's meter's in the red. We get out of the cab and we literally walk the last three quarters of a mile through the parking lot with our bag and, you know, through the fans into the stadium for Super Bowl 18. How many people was Lyle going to kill? Uh, he just had that look on his face that, you know, if you knew Lyle, you just, you knew when that look was there was, is he's in the red, you know, he, he went, his RPMs were in the red. And if you, I, if you couldn't read that face and the walk, you weren't real sharp. Could you imagine today, nowadays? Couldn't happen. Just, you know, the no boundaries with anybody. I mean, you couldn't even think about it today, right? No, I, you know, listen, it, it was a time when fights in practice, fights in the locker room, fights on airplanes, you know, and, and there was no Jake Glazer then. It was the three major networks and ESPN was kind of doing tractor pulls and, you know, right. doing that at the time. And, you know, you had the local beat writer, Czar. Matter of fact, John Zarneski, who worked with us for forever. We love Czar. He just retired last year. He was our local beat writer. Along with, uh, you know, writer from the LA Times and, you know, but the beat writer flew on the plane. He knew everybody. It was a wink and a nod, you know, and, and things just weren't reported. 
So back then again, you were you were crazy, Harry. Let's say right, you had to be. And then no, I, I you know Jay, I've kind of been the same guy. I was the switch was on a lot more, but okay. That's a good I was the same. I'm the same guy. I'm the same guy that doesn't like to go out. I'm not a partier. That's just not me. I do the Irish exit a lot, you know, but, uh, I was the same guy. Just I was in the red a lot. Um, so that, that was my, that's my question. Again, I'm around you constantly, right? And you're, you're writing notes all the time and you're having virgin strawberry factories yep. to keep that beast in the box. Did you make the decision though to, Hey, I'm going to keep that red myself out of the red when you had Chris or was it before that or after that? When you had it, kids, it seemed like you changed your life then. I think Chris started the process, having Chris, having a son, you know, it changes everything. You know, it changes how you handle yourself, what you do and what you don't do. And you never want, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is you have, you don't ever want to disappoint your, your son or sons. And I think for me, here was the thing. And, and, you know, Chris and I've had this conversation and I've had this conversation with Kyle a little bit. I played 13 years and never had a dollar guaranteed. Which means you could be cut at any time. Well, you never had a guaranteed signing bonus. No. Well, I had a sign. My my signing bonus in 1981 was eighty thousand dollars, which they told me was too much money to give me all at once. So they spread it out over two years. Okay. (laughs) Really? Yes. So here I'm playing for 13 years, and eight of those years were with kids. So you're always under the gun and there's injuries and you're getting shot up and you know, you're, you're trying to come back and you, you, you've got to play. You got to be the guy on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You got to be the guy. And I think when I, when I finally decided to kind of pack it in, you know, not, not one specific thing. It was a, it was a number of things. One, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure I, I had. I think I had maybe seven or eight surgeries at that point. And things were, it took everything I could to make the Pro Bowl my last year. You know, so I was right there on the fringe of being, you know, a Pro Bowl, non-Pro Bowl player. And I I couldn't, I could not handle being good. Uh, You know, you wanted to be great. If you're not going to be great, I don't want to do this, regardless of what the money is. Uh, At that time, I thought I had kind of, you know, had enough money to where, you know, if I lived reasonably and, you know, did some appearances and whatever, I could find my way and take care of our family. And we moved to Virginia on a Friday and I got a job at Fox on Monday. Now, 30 years later, the rest is history. A lot of forks in the road in that story. Yeah, an awful lot of forks in the road in that story. You you mentioned earlier that it's our 30s, your 30th year, it's my 20th with you guys. Is there one story in the 30 years that just stands out for you with TB and just being there, Fox? Well, you know, I, I think we've leaned on each other over the years at times, you know, as you, as I think everyone knows, Terry's had uh, some medical issues over the last few years. And, you know, I was kind of the guy that he decided to confide in and, you know, you're, you're constantly, you know, checking and checking. I'll tell you one funny story he's he's doing failure to launch and uh he calls me up i'm up here in montana i remember like it was yesterday which is a movie with who is it mcconaughey matthew mcconaughey and it was a great movie it was a fun movie and you know here he is diane and i are in the movie theater and he's butt naked 
And, you know, all you see is his big white ass on, on screen. But he calls me up. He's in the back room getting ready to do the nude scene. And he said, little buddy. So they got these socks, <laughs> these skin colored socks that I got to put on. And, you know, they run it around your waist and, you know, it, it, it covers you up, but, you know, it doesn't really cover you up. And here's my problem. He said, they got a small, they got a medium and they got a large. Now I'm thinking the large, I can't pull off for sure. <laughs> Maybe I can't pull off the medium, but if I go with the small, it, it's not going to look good at all. So I, I'm going to go with the medium and just take the middle ground. And I said, sure, I, I think the medium is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great Yeah, whoever would have thought that Howie Long, who gets drafted out of Villanova, would be having this conversation with four-time Super Bowl winning quarterback Terry Bradshaw about the size of his schlong for a movie with Matthew McConaughey. I tell you, the, the thing about him that people, you know, a lot of people don't know is he's a really good friend. He's a guy that has taken the Brinks truck all the way to the bank, doing that Jed Clampett, you know, all shucks, you know, go golly, I'm going to go out to the cement pond and do my gazintas. He's one of the smartest people I know. And regardless of whatever happens, whether it was, you know, a rough Saturday night or whatever it was, when the green light goes on or the red light goes on, my man's up and on and he he's a star. And, you know, the, you could say the same thing over the last couple of years when, you know, he's he's had some challenges physically and uh, there was a lot going on there. He's going through a lot and, you know, with the treatments and just so happy – we did uh, Joe Gibbs's charity event up in D.C. this past off season. You know, we were up on stage for, golly, an hour and a half. He showed up to the thing. Here we are. It's it's like seven hundred people. I don't know how many people there are. Seven eight hundred people in this big huge ballroom up in D.C. And I'm in a suit. He shows up late. Joe Gibbs and I are taking pictures with you know people who paid to come in the back before the event, take a photo, and and Terry walks in. He forgot his suit, so he's <laughs> he's in raggedy jeans, a pair of Skechers that I gave him, and you know a button-down shirt with with his wide open and a t-shirt. So we're gonna do this, you know, pseudo kind of black tie. It's not a black tie, but it's you know it's it's a high-end event, and we're on stage, and he does the whole thing. And the thing that made me the happiest was one, he was himself. He was as healthy as I've seen him in, you know, a couple of years. And he was sharp. Just, I, I, the drive home was, you know, I drove home from up in DC down to Virginia and, you know, knowing that he was, uh, he turned the corner. We always joke about, you gotta, it's, it's the days of thunder. You gotta get through the smoke at turn three. Just hit the gas and go <laughs> keep smoke and trust that God willing, you're gonna get through the other side. And you're not going to hit anything. He, I think he's through the smoke at turn three. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. The podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I told you, you know, again, it's my 20th year, 30th. You were right there. I think this is my best moment at Fox. It wasn't Spygate or anything like that. It was last year. We're sitting there around Christmas time. Beverly Wilshire. Remember, he came over the table and he said, hey, man, you just you understand. I just want to tell you because you understand. I'm just having a bad day between the years. And I just need to tell someone and you get it. And, I, yeah. and that, just, right, that just meant so much to me that we could have all could have this kind of brotherhood. Together and the, and the other thing that you know Terry and I do a lot of, and I wrote obviously a, a whole chapter in my book about this, and you're a big part of this is we have to use laughter to get out of our gray. And unfortunately for you, you're the target for Terry and I a lot <laughs> for our laughter. <laughs> and I I wrote in my book that you're my muse. The amount of jokes that it's, I play it's on a, it's that a Terry same, gets at you. <laughs> it's the same, and it's the same in my family. I the boys like to uh, they like to joke about me. Folks, uh, let me tell you this. I, I I'm not going to say exactly who, one. I I put two bumper stickers on Howie's car. One of them, will paraphrase, said, "I love porn." Howie drove around. Beverly Hills for 15 minutes with this bumper sticker on the People back. People are beeping, waving. I'm thinking, <laughs> golly, you know, that 
Chevy commercial or that Sketchers commercial. Golly, <laughs> people are seeing that, you know, geez. <laughs> and I pull into valet parking and the guy says, cause I've stayed at the same place for forever. He says to me, uh, Howie, you know, you have a sticker on the back of your car. Here's the real story. I had back surgery. I was stuck in the hotel, you know, cause I had surgery on a Tuesday and it was the week that Al Davis died. I remember it like it was yesterday and I had to go into work and, you know, talk about Al and uh I'm stuck there with an ice machine and, you know, they've got me on meds and, you know, Jay was kind enough to come over a little did I know what I was a very good friend is what I was, his, what his end game was, was he knew I was drugged out and, you know, I, I was on painkillers and I was going to pass out and he was going to put a, a, a Hitler mustache, I think on my upper lip. Allegedly. Right, right. So, so now <laughs> I Jay sat this over big... Howie with a marker saying, the moment you go to sleep here, I am drawing this little Hitler mustache on you. And Howie's like, well, uh, 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 I said, right. hey, I'm just being a friend. <laughs> so, so Jay has a, a, a procedure for his ankle. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, Jay came over to see me and, you know, uh, I've got to go over to his place and, make sure he's good. So I go over to his place. I'm sitting in there for about an hour and I go back out and, you know, it was something about my truck had climbed something. And it wasn't good, but again, <laughs> I, and people are beeping at me and I'm, I'm driving around. Well, this is the second bumper sticker, folks. The second bumper sticker. On Howie's car. Yeah. Second one. Yeah. And this one was more graphic uh, oh. first. Right? Horrible. And Howie pulls into the same hotel, and our friend, the doorman over there, says, any chance were you at Mr. Glazer's today? <laughs> and, and a black tie event had just gotten out at this hotel right. and was taking right. pictures at Howie's car with his pornographic bumper sticker on the back of Howie Long's car. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. He calls me up and he goes, did you put a bumper sticker on my car? I said, who is this? Did you yeah. put a bumper sticker on my car? I said, Mom? He's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so, now, now, conversely, I've also seen the only time Howie was ever going to strike me, which he still, still struck me for all this, is I'm training. I've had the honor of Howie saying here, man, I, you know, this MMA program, I got to train Chris for a while. Yeah. And train Kyle for a long time. Yeah. And um, actually, I probably shouldn't thank you for it. Better he's hitting you than me. You know shit. Well, Howie's in the gym, and I'm showing him, you know, we're doing these hammer fists where instead of slapping hands, you take a fist, and you guys have seen UFC fighters when you get on the ground, they use the back of their, their hand to strike someone's face. But you can do the same thing with linemen's forearms and cornerbacks' forearms, but you got to, like, practice it because most of these guys use, have their hands open. So I'm doing it over and over and over, and then Howie, it's like he keeps butting in. So I'm like, hey, dude. You like Honey Boo Boo's mom? Just leave us the fuck alone. And Howie's like, he should. I finally said, Howie, this is what we're doing. What? I crack Howie's form. And Howie goes, Why would you do that? And he goes and he the Charlestown version of Howie that Beast got out of the box. He goes in his pocket. He pulls out his car key. I want you to see this, folks. Howie takes his car key. He puts it in the middle of his finger like this and tries to punch me in the eye with his car key because I hit him in the forearm. You know, maybe an overreaction. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. It hurt. It hurt. That forearm thing hurt. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, if you connected, my career is over. That's it. 
Yeah, and jail. I'm and I and I'm in jail. Hey, you're in jail, but no, yeah. I wouldn't press charges. It was just brothers fighting with brothers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, listen. Before I let you go, I do got to tell you, real talk. You know, folks, you you know, I talk about leaning into your teammates, and I'm lucky enough to have a Howie. When the sky is falling for me, which happens sometimes, and particularly there was, there was one time, and I had taken, you know, I've tried a lot of different anti-anxiety and anti-depression medications, and I'm going to keep trying as new ones come out, but none of them work for me, so I have to, you know, figure out other ways, unfortunately. And there was one day I took one, and I came in, and man, the sky was falling, and everybody hated me, and Howie pulled me aside and, said, and just said that, hey, 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 nobody's against you. The sky's not falling. We got you. And man, just, just before we went on the show. So to have a friend like that who can know you that well and know what to say, this is where you gotta, you gotta lean into your teammates, gang. And, and when you, you can be honest and vulnerable, your teammates are there to help you. What's that saying? This, this too will pass. Yep. Yeah. You just don't, you don't realize you just gotta hit the gas when you hit that smoke on turn three and just go through it. That was a dark day. I've had a lot of dark days in there because I put a lot of pressure on myself and, you know, I think we all do on that show because we want to, you know, we want to, every Sunday we're all trying to win the Super Bowl. We're not just trying to have a show. We're trying to win the right. Super Bowl every Sunday, right? right. And, that's what, and that's what people also don't, you know, they talk about our show. We all love each other. We all hang out together. We're all godfathers of each other's kids and best man at each other's weddings. There's been a lot of weddings. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all there for it, but we constantly hang out, which is what makes our show different, I think, than everybody else. Yeah, I, you know, I, listen, I have for 43 years, I've been with two teams, you know, the Raiders for 13. And, uh, I have no frame of reference of what other organizations are like other than, you know, Kyle and Chris playing and, you know, getting a kind of glimpse into New England, Philadelphia, St. Louis and, you know, the Bears and Kansas City and Andy Reid and, you know, all that, you know, through your son's eyes. But, through my eyes, it's 43 years uh, with two teams. And I couldn't imagine being at a, a better place. I've had the luxury of coaching high school football for eight years and Little League baseball for eight years. And, you know, Fox was uh, very accommodating and they knew that that was important to me. And, you know, the guys, listen, my boys were nine, five and four when I joined Fox. So, you know, everyone there is kind of an uncle and, you know, everyone there has been along for the ride, you know, through high school sports and college sports and pro football and pro bowls and Super Bowls. And, you know, we covered, you know, championship games and Super Bowls with with Chris in them. And everyone feels like part of the family. And, you know, our boys view everyone that I work with as as family. We're all loyalty guys too. I mean, that's the thing. We don't just hang out. Right. We're all loyalty guys. We all get each other's backs. And we yeah. fight like brothers, but we. You and Michael fight like brothers. I, you know. <laughs> no, we it got makes me uncomfortable. That. We got better with that. We got better with that. <laughs> it's so funny. You're, I'm 63 years old. It's like, guys, grow up. We have for God's sakes. And we've grown up. We've, we've grown the two of us. It's grown No, it, it, it has. It definitely has. There were times I'm like, you two are just ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'm not going to back down on right? And Michael imposes his will. Michael's a, like, don't let Gap the smile fool you. He's a bad motherfucker. Oh, I'm I, not going to let him, you know, I'm not going to back down. I, I, I know that. Uh, I know that. But, you know, it, you know, again, 
Again, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you need someone at midnight and you got to make a call, there's, you know, there's a short list of people that are on that list. And the guys we work with are, you know, Jimmy might just not answer the phone or hang up. <laughs> he'd call, you'd call him up and he'd say, who? <laughs> hey, my last question for you. Uh, and I ask all my guests, give me your one moment in life. It's your unbreakable moment. The one thing that should have broken you, but didn't. And as a result, you came through the other side of that tunnel stronger forever. I would say, and you know, you don't realize it at the time because you really don't know any better uh, growing up the way I grew up. My dad was homeless living on Main Street in a car in our neighborhood. And when you walk down the road and you see that, you know, I'm not quite sure how I got by that and wow. moved on from it and, you know, didn't try not to dwell on it. And, you know, I think when you grow up like that, you have a tendency of being able to shut that, put that in a box, shut it, shut the door and, and don't think about it. But, you know, I, I see the relationship, you know, Michael had with his dad and, you know, people have with their dad. And fortunately, I think as the years went by after our sons were born and later on, I reconnected with him and he would come to Montana and spend a month. And I still see him sitting out at the fire pit at one thirty in the morning, smoking a cigarette and having whatever he was drinking and, you know, him reconnecting with the boys was kind of a, a full circle for for me, but it wasn't a typical kind of childhood. And that seeing that as a 10-year-old uh, is not the easiest thing in the world to deal That's with. That's dramatic. So you just walk down the street, you would see him. Yeah, he's in the car sleeping. Wow. Wow. That's a lot to get through. You have to understand, he's a guy who grew up in an orphanage from birth to 18 years old and an abusive orphanage. You know, one of those kind that make movies about. So his frame of reference for family, there is no frame of reference. Right. So, you know, for me, you've been able to forgive too. Right. And, 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 you know, that's the big thing, Jay, is I needed to move on from all that and, and say with age comes perspective. And I think you find the ability, you find a way in your heart and in your head to say, I get it. I kind of understand why you were the way you were. He had a good heart. You would have loved him. He was, you know, six, seven, two fifty-five. You know, God knows what he would have been if he, you know, if he had a normal life or had a family. But you know, to be in a to be in an orphanage for eighteen years. Wow. Think about that. From birth to eighteen. Wow. Yeah. He was screwed from the get-go. So for me, that was probably the worst moment. And it taught you a different level of forgiveness and all, and it certainly taught you how not to act to, toward your kids. You know, like, Hey, I'm going to make sure I'm so there for my kids. I, yeah. I, and, and I tend to be, yeah. I mean, I wanted to be better for a lot of reasons, just wanted to be better. And, you know, I, I've, like I said, nobody's perfect, but I've always been in the batter's box and I've always been swinging and I show up. That's who I am. And that's who I'm going to continue to be until. I can't do it anymore. Well, brother, thank you for uh, not hitting me in the eye with the key that day. Thank Try. you for being there for me. You tried. I tried. <laughs> thank you for being there for me, for Sammy. 
and always being there for me, man. When the sky is falling, standing above me, make sure it doesn't crash down on me. I love you, man. I appreciate you. Love you, partner. Howie Long, the Unbreakable Podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.